0: be seated. My name is Tad Skinner. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this is my daughter's iPad, in case you're wondering. so Like the purple polka dots. So um, I want you to think for a moment about the word power. Think about that word power. And I I want you to Just shout out one or two things, two or three people. Tell me, what what do you think of when you think of the word power? Work. Say it again. SRP. Work. Okay, SRP. Mr. Incredible. Incredible. Energy change per unit of time. Energy change per unit of time. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I don't understand that, so... What else? One more. Money, influence, subservience. All right. So when I think, those are all good things. When I think of the word power, uh, I think of superheroes, right? I mean, Superman was a powerful dude, right? Um, I think of the, the smell of my gym locker uh, when I was growing up, right? Powerful odors came out of there. I think of the the sound and the fury of Niagara Falls, all that water rushing over, that's powerful. And uh, I think of, I'm surprised nobody said this, those muscle head dudes, the power team, you know who I'm talking about, the guys that ripped the phone books in half, remember them, right? So power, power. So what does the Bible refer to as powerful? What does the Bible say is the very power of God? Well, the Bible uses that phrase, the power of God, in uh, three different passages to refer to something or someone. So we're going to talk about that, the power of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ himself is referred to as the power of God. Now that makes sense, right? Christ, he is God, he's the power of God, that makes sense. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, "...for I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God. And then in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So Christ, the word of the cross, the gospel, all three of those things are referred to as the power of God. And really those are linked together. They really refer to the same, same thing christ is the word we see that in in the book of john in the very first uh, verse of the book of john the new testament in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so jesus is the very word of god and of course jesus gave his life on the cross so he's the word of the cross as well you following me you with me on that so and then finally, the gospel is the good news of salvation. And that good news is that Jesus, that God came to earth as fully man, uh, that Jesus came and that he exchanged his life for our death. He exchanged his, his holiness and his righteousness for our sinfulness. He took, his, took our sinfulness upon himself and gave us his righteousness. So I'd say that Christ is centrally important to the message of the gospel. So all three of those things, Christ, the word of the cross, the gospel, they're all linked together. I think that's really cool. Don't you think so? Isn't that cool? The power of God. So hold on to that thought about the power of God, and let me uh, tell you where I'm going with this this passage, where we're going with this message today, right at the beginning. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that tells us what we have to do. It's going to say, this is what you must do. And then we're going to find out that we can't do it. So we must do it. We're going to find out that we can't do it. And then we're going to see that Jesus did it. And because he did it, then we can too. We're going to discover how we can do it as well. So we've been looking at the servant songs in Isaiah. If you're, if you're new here today, uh, the servant songs, there's four passages of scripture in Isaiah uh, leading up to Easter. We thought this would be a good way to prepare us for the Easter Uh, Service Easter season. And these four passages of scripture, they prophetically describe Jesus' character and his work for us. And these passages were written 700 years before Jesus was born. And uh, they're all about him. All these passages are about him. Scripture, Jesus says basically a couple times in scripture, he says that all of scripture points towards him. All of scripture is about him. We see that most notably When Jesus was taken prisoner before he was crucified in Matthew chapter 26, he says, All this, meaning uh, my arrest and me leading up to the cross, going to the cross, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then when he appeared after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, some of you are familiar with that story when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he says, That he interpreted to them, to the disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So isn't it amazing when we read prophecy in scripture that's fulfilled later on? And that's what we're seeing here. We see prophecy. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And we're going to see that it was fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to see today this couldn't be about anyone else other than Jesus. This has to be about Jesus, this passage. And no one else has these qualities and characteristics. And no one else could enable us to make the choice that he's calling us to make. So today we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 50. So turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 50. If you don't have a Bible, back on the corner of the um, coffee bar, bookstall area, we've got Bibles. We'd love for you to pick one up, uh, read it today, take it home with you. It's our gift to you, and we'd love to hear how... What God is saying to you as you read that scripture, so talk to us about that as well. So we're going to be in verses 4 through 11, Isaiah chapter 50. This is a, to me anyway, it's a really heavy passage, a beautiful passage. Um, I, I, hope, I hope you're a loving scripture. I'm really grateful that Chuck gave me this passage to, to meditate on, to dwell on, to think about. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful passage. So I want you to listen to this. As, as we read, as though this is from the voice of Jesus. Because it really is. These, these words in your Bible might as well be in red. Because this is Jesus speaking here. Isaiah chapter 50. And we're going to read verses... <laughs> what are you laughing at? So, verses 4 through 11. The words of Jesus. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. To know the word that sustains the weary... He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who have pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, Have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So it doesn't end on a very uplifting note, does it? This is, like I said, a, a, what I think is just a beautiful passage. And the more I read it, the heavier it got for me. And I, I really struggled with how to present this, how to present this to you, which is a confusing passage. Uh, it's poetry. It's hard to understand. It's, it's a form of writing that isn't very clear. And so how do we make sense of this? How do we, how do we understand this? Well, The more I I dwelled on it, the more I thought about it, eventually the gospel message just really jumped off the page at me. And I think that's, just as an aside, I think that's one thing that we ought to really take home and realize, is that this is not just a a normal, ordinary book that we, we just read through in one sitting. You can, of course, there's nothing wrong with that, but oftentimes God speaks through us reading a little bit at a time, dwelling on it meditating meditating on it thinking about it through the day and then god speaks to us through the day as we as we read it and that's certainly what happened with this passage with me so these last two verses are i think the key to this whole thing so we're going to start at the end i'm going to read these last two verses we're going to talk about it these last two verses reveal that we have a choice we have a choice to make and that choice is only possible because of the power of god the gospel, the word of the cross, and Jesus. So we all make that choice for ourselves. So let me read these last two verses once more. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light... Let me stop there for a second. And we all walk in the dark, right? This this is a, a reference to sin. We're all born in sin. Uh, scripture often talks about light and dark, and dark means sin. We all are sinful. We're all rebels to a holy God. We're all do-it-yourselfers who uh, all fall short of the standard of perfection. So we all start out walking in darkness, every single one of us. We're all, we all have no light. So the choice, uh, let me finish, the trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches... Go, walk in the light of your fires, and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So in verse 10, the, the choice is revealed. We're told that one way to live, one way that we can go, one, one path that we can choose to go down is to trust in the Lord and rely on his God. And who's the Lord? It's Jesus. Jesus we can trust in jesus and we can rely on god Uh, jesus obviously the one who's being spoken of here the one who's speaking the one who was mocked and abused the one who suffered such abuse the one who confronted his accuser his enemy satan and the one that we see later died in obedience to god so one way to live is to put our trust in jesus and rely on god but there's a second way to live and that's in verse 11 a second path that you can choose Remember, again, we all walk in darkness. So the second way to live is to provide yourselves with flaming torches, to walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. So that's a whole lot of you and yours in that verse. A whole lot of, about me. It's about me. So the first way is to rely on God, to make him the center of your life. The second way is to rely on yourself, to put yourself at the center of the world, to rely on yourself, things that you choose to put your faith in. But God reveals the result of that way of life. And what's the result of that way of life? Death. You lie down in torment. So it sounds like an easy choice, right? I mean, I don't care what's behind door number one if the other option is to lie down in torment. Right? Are you with me? I'm going to choose door number one. I don't care what the other, uh, what it might be behind it. That's better than eternal anguish, right? So it sounds like an easy choice. It sounds like we're all just be flocking to that first, first path. We're all going to choose that. But of course, the choice isn't easy at all. And why is it not? Well, let me show you why we can't make that choice on our own. Uh, look at the question in verse 10 again. Who fears the Lord? And obeys his servant. That—that's really a rhetorical question. The answer is that no one does. No one really fears the Lord and obeys his servant. Got a newsflash for you. I'm a sinner, right? You are too. But the good news of that is that God's not a sinner. In fact, God's the opposite of that. God's holy. He's righteous. He's the opposite of sin. There's no wrong thought, no wrong motive, no wrong action in him, but there's there's plenty of wrong thoughts and actions and motives in me, both in my past and there will be in my future as well. So how did we get here? How did I get to the point where I can't choose, can't make this first choice? Well, in the beginning, right, God created Adam and Eve, he created the world, he created everything for his glory, and Adam and Eve were uh, enjoying time with God, they were naked, and unashamed as they walked around in the garden, right? And they were enjoying God's presence, and yet they chose to rebel against a holy God. And how did they rebel? How did they rebel against God? Well, they chose to reject the power of God. They chose to reject the word. Their first sin in the garden was to take God's word and say they didn't believe it. They didn't trust it. They didn't think it was true. So they rejected the power of God. They rejected the Word. They took His perfect love and direction for their lives, and they they decided to do their own thing. They decided to put themselves on the throne. They decided to put themselves at the center. And, folks, we do the same thing, don't we? We still do that today. We still put ourselves on the throne. So I venture to guess that all of us here have done that already, even in the past couple of hours. We've all sinned. Right? Probably so, I would imagine. So, if Adam and Eve couldn't choose the first way to live, even though they were living in perfection, then how in the world is it possible for me to choose the first way to live when this is not perfection? Right? This is a fallen world. There's all sorts of junk out there. How can I trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God? Let me point out also that. The path, the second path I'm talking about, we can, we can light our own torches in a couple of different ways. First, we can light our own torches by openly rebelling against God, uh, by saying, I know what God tells me I ought to do, but I'm going to do the opposite anyway. I know that he tells me I shouldn't be sleeping with my girlfriend, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do what I think is right. So that's one way. The other way... That you can choose to light your own torch is by um, uh, living like a Christian three or four hours a week, right? Coming on Sunday. That's the only time that God is at the center of your life on the throne. And the rest of the week, you live the way you want to live. You don't have time to read Scripture. You don't make time to read Scripture because you really don't feel like you need to. Or maybe. Uh, you feel like you justify it. I'm better than that guy over there. So I'm doing good. I'm fine. I don't really need God in my life. God is only for Sunday. So we light our own torches in lots of different ways. You can do that in lots of different ways. Romans 3 says that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one That's not very encouraging, is it? So no one does good. No one seeks after God. We're all rebels, and we're all hopelessly dead in our sins. So even when I know the right thing to do, even when I know what I ought to be doing, I often light my own torch. Let me give you one example of that from my life, and you can decide on your own whether this is a sin or not. Uh, But my... Wife, Katina, she went away about a month ago for a long weekend to a conference. And my wife is a great cook. Uh, she always uh, great food, but but healthy food. So I know what my kids ought to be eating. Right? So I'm home alone with the kids. I know what they ought to be eating. I know what's healthy. Uh, I know what's healthy anyway, just because I I'm not an idiot, right? I know what's, I know what what's healthy. But I know because my wife has taught me well. So I take her to the airport on Friday morning, go back home, spend some time with the kids, and I'm getting hungry around 11, 11.30. So I know the right thing to do, but I load the kids up in the car and we go to Cold Stone. (laughs) So we have have ice cream for lunch. And then we go home and uh, we play some games, mess around for a little bit, and we get, I'm getting hungry, I'm getting thirsty again, so we go have a slushie for a snack, <laughs> and then that's before dinner. So I know the right thing to do, and yet I choose to do something different, right? I choose to light my own torch in a way. So if I do that, how much more do I send for real about serious stuff? Can, can you relate to this? Can you see this in your own life? Now, I, I told that story because I thought it'd be funny, right? You laughed, so I was right. But um, there's a lot more serious stuff in my life that I, I won't share with you, right? I'd share it with my gospel community people that I that I, in a smaller group, have that accountability with, but I'm not going to share it in a public setting like this. What about you? Can you relate to that? Do you have experiences in your life where you're... You're lighting your own torch, where you're choosing, even though you know the right thing to do, you're doing the wrong thing. You're sinning, for real, about big stuff. So I choose to place myself on the throne. I choose to get, to kick God off of it, and I can't blame anyone else. I make those poor choices. It's me. I'm the one that does it. But there's also, not only is it me that makes it hard to make that, to choose that first path, there's also... The world. What does the world tell me that I deserve? Ice cream. Ice cream. Yes, definitely. The world tells me that I deserve everything, right? I deserve that new car. I deserve that promotion. I deserve to have a little fun with that woman that's not my wife, right? I deserve to go to Coldstone for lunch. I deserve a break today, right? We we all deserve everything. That's what the world says. And not only that, but the world says that there's really not anything wrong with me. I'm not a sinner. The world says, where's God? Who's God? I create my own morality. I create my own reality. And besides all that, it's really not dark in here. So I don't need to light a torch because it's not dark. I'm not a sinner. That's what the world tells me. Right? So... Not only do I do the things that I know I shouldn't do, not only am I selfish and willingly choose to do the wrong thing, even when I know the right thing to do, not only am I constantly hearing from the world that I deserve everything, not only all of that, but we have an enemy as well. And that's talked about here in verse, I think it's verse 8, it's talked about. Have you ever had an enemy? Have you ever had a nemesis? And I'm, I'm talking about more than just the Newman to Seinfeld right? Somebody who, who really hates you. Somebody who would love nothing more than for you to, to fail miserably and die while you're at it. We all have an enemy like that. Satan is a lion seeking to devour those whom he would destroy. We have a, a target on our back, and one of the prime ways that he tries to ruin us is to tell us that we're our own God, that we should be on the throne that life is about me that life is better when I'm on the throne so it's not an easy choice to follow God it's not easy to choose the first way to live it's not easy because of me because of uh, what I want I ought to be on the throne I believe that it's not easy because the world tells me that I deserve to be on the throne and it's not easy because Satan says that life is better when I'm on the throne so If verses 10 and 11 are telling me what I must do, that I have to choose this first choice or else else this first path or else I end up in eternal torment, right? So if if that's what it's telling me, then there's no hope, right? If I can't choose that first way. Now, wouldn't it be awful if I just said, go have a great week, live a good life, uh, we'll see you next week. If I just ended things here, that'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Of course, that's not the case. What about the servant in this passage? What is, what's up with him? Well, obviously, we know that's Jesus, and we can see that Jesus did make that first choice. He chose the first path. So how did he do that? Well, let's, let's read verses 4 through 6 again. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. So do you you feel the weight of those words? That's a really bad day that he's experiencing. So we could spend a long time just examining those three verses and come away glorifying God. But can you you see that this is about Jesus? Who else can sustain the weary? Who else is always obedient to God? Who else is constantly spending time in the Word and being renewed by that? Who else suffered such abuse? This has to be about Jesus, right? So let's look at a couple of things here. First, Jesus, I want you to notice that Jesus was given the role of a prophet. He was able to sustain the weary with his words. Jesus had been prophesied about in the Old Testament, but he was also a prophet himself. So as the very word of God, he was proclaiming the word of God to to anyone that would hear, to all who would hear and verse 4 says that morning by morning he's awakened by God so that he can speak the gospel. That's, that's really cool, isn't it, to think of, of Jesus being awakened every morning so that he can be a prophet, so that he can serve in that way. But there's so much more that Jesus is doing here. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We, we spoke earlier of the phrase, the power of God, being used to describe Jesus, being used to describe the the word of the cross, the gospel. He's the prophet's servant because he brought the word of God to his people. He's the very power of God. His very life is as a testimony of a prophet to the great love that God has for his people. And his great love cost him everything. Cost him his entire life. He died in being a prophet. So he's a prophet's servant, but he's also the obedient Servant. In verse 5, the prophet's servant is said to not be rebellious, that he didn't turn away. And later on, in uh, verse 7, I think it is, we, we see that he sets his face like flint, meaning that he's resolute in doing the will of the Father, the one that's him. So let's think about the weight of that for a moment. Now, when maybe this fits you too, but when I know I've got a particularly bad day ahead of me, I don't want to get up. If I know that I've got a difficult day, I'm more likely to hit snooze, right? Are you like that as well? Yes, sometimes? All right, so uh, what about Jesus? Did Jesus know what he was getting himself into? Did he know that he was going to have a particularly bad 33 years of life before he was born? Well, of course he did. We know that he did. He's God, right? He knows that. Well, we also see that here in print. In verse 6, written 700 years before Jesus was born, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. So we see those prophecies about the abuse that Jesus received. We see those prophecies uh, revealed time after time in in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, we see that. And Pastor Chuck, I'm imagining, will make clear with our fourth servant song next week that... Jesus suffered and died, not because he was guilty, but because I'm guilty, and because you're guilty. That's why he suffered. That's why he died, for that love for us. So can you imagine knowing that you're going to be abused, that you're going to be mocked, beaten, spit on, and still being obedient? Can you imagine knowing that you were going to suffer that kind of abuse followed by a humiliating death and still being obedient? Can you imagine being obedient all the while uh, knowing that you'd never done anything wrong in your life, that you were completely innocent, and also knowing the filthy hearts of the people that you were dying for? Talking about mine, talking about yours. Can you imagine that kind of obedience In the garden, think of Jesus knowing all those things and still praying to his Father. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I can't fathom that kind of obedience. Like I said, I have a hard time wanting to get out of bed when I have a bad day ahead of me. And yet Jesus was obedient knowing all of those things. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to just worship him for that? See, Jesus was the prophet's servant who was obedient to his Lord. We talked earlier about Jesus being wakened morning by morning to proclaim the gospel, to share the word of God. And that's, that's great that he did that. But there's more to it than that. Do You see that he was also able, he was also empowered because of the word of God because of the power of God that's where he got his strength morning by morning he was sustained he was able to do the task that God had set before him because of the word God was strengthening him to face what was coming by the very word so are you being fueled to have a deeper trust or a deeper reliance on God by reading the word. Are you allowing God to feed you in that way, morning by morning? So what difference does all of this really make? What difference does it make that Jesus was obedient, even obedient to the point of death? What difference does it make that he suffered this abuse? What difference does it make that he was a prophet, that he confronted Satan, that he, he died a, a sinner's death, On a cross. What difference does that really make to me? Well, remember how this passage ends that we're given a choice of two ways to live. There's two paths that we can take. We can put our trust in the name of God, we can rely on Him, or we can put our trust in ourselves and rely on ourselves. Well, we've already seen we can't choose that first way on our own. So, what difference does it make that Jesus was obedient? Well, of course, it makes all the difference in the world. So there's two groups of people in here today. And all of us need the gospel. We need the gospel. We need the power of God when we are saved, when we come to a point of salvation. We need it each day of our lives. We continue to need that gospel. So I'm going to try to apply this passage to both groups separately here today. If you're... Uh, if you've never put your trust in God, if you uh, are just confused about this Christianity thing, you, maybe you're trying it out, maybe, maybe even you showed up today thinking today was Easter and you're off a week, uh, we're, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, we want you to know that God loves you, certainly. I think we'd all agree that there's something wrong with this world, though, wouldn't we? Things don't work the way that they're supposed to. There's something wrong with me. I shouldn't go around relationally hurting you like I do. You shouldn't go around relationally hurting me like you do. I think we'd all agree there's something doesn't work the way it should. Things aren't right in our world. And we all do different things to try to make it right, to try to uh, save us in some way. We're all trying to put something on the throne of our life, whether that's our material possessions, whether that's uh, relationships, um, whether that's uh, trying to get acceptance from others, whether that's uh, whatever it might be. We all try to put something on the throne to save us, to try to make what's wrong right. So let me ask you, how much did your God's love cost him? My God's love cost him everything. He gave up everything to come running after me. And if he gave up everything because of his love, then I know that I can trust him. I can put my trust in him because I know that he gave up everything for me. So if you're not a believer, if you've not put your acceptance in Jesus put your trust in him, won't you put down your torch today? Won't you stop trying to stumble around in the darkness trying to find your way out. and Are you weary from the struggle? Are you weary from trying to light your own torch? If so, what's making you weary? Is it that God that you've put in your life, that broken relationship, that bad job? Maybe it's uh, abuse from your past that keeps bubbling its way to the surface and forcing its way into the present. Maybe it's that you don't get the recognition you deserve, From everyone for doing all the good things that you do to try to help everybody out. Look at verse 4. Jesus is able to sustain the weary with a word. He loves you. So won't you listen to him today as he comes calling after you when he says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We would love to come uh, to speak with you after the service. We'll be up at the front afterwards. If you've not put your trust in Jesus, Come and talk to one of the staff, one of the leaders, or talk to somebody around you. We'd love to show you how you can find and have that peace and have that rest. Now, the second group in here are those who are already believers in Jesus. But don't we light our own fires sometimes? I do. I light my own fire sometimes. I functionally kick Jesus off the the throne. I try to do things my own way. But that's not what God wants and that's not what I need either. His way is far better. It's far more satisfying than my way. Have, Have you ever, I think we all have, we've all seen these. You've all seen the help wanted signs, right? Everyone's seen those. Has anyone ever seen a permanent help wanted sign? You know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen one here. I associate that more with where I grew up, a rural town, uh, kind of a rundown area, but they, these uh, permanent help wanted signs, they were permanently nailed to the sides of, of buildings, uh, businesses. And they just said, no help wanted. And so when the business needed somebody to come in and put an application, they'd cover up the word no. <laughs> right? It said help wanted. You ever seen those? Okay, not, not a Phoenix thing. All right. So, uh, I have. Trust me, they're there. So my question for you is, does that describe your life? Do you have a permanent believer? Do you have a permanent no-help-wanted sign attached to your heart? Maybe you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you think that's, that's good enough. I'll just come to church even every week, but, and I'll live out that life for three or four hours a week. But the rest of the time, I don't want God's help. Or maybe you cover up the word no when you're really in a bind. And you really need God to come be a part of your life. You really need God to help you. Folks, again, you're missing out on so much if that's the way that you're living your life. Jesus sits on the throne. He created us. And he designed us for that to be so. He's not interested in me living out a good life on my own. He's not interested in my performance. Remember what Jesus said in verses 7 and 9. He said, The sovereign Lord helps me. That's what he he did. He had a permanent help-wanted sign attached to his heart. He was constantly reliant upon his Father to sustain him. And so it's not just non-believers either who get weary. We all get weary. This world causes us to get weary, right? Maybe you're weary from lighting your own fire. In the face of abuse and death, when Jesus should have been weary, what was he like? He was strong, right? He was rock solid in the face of what he was experiencing. He was, it's not that he was weary. It's not that he was weak. It's not that he was unable to continue, He was strong in the face of that. He says in verses 8 and 9, the one who vindicates him is near. His identity is so grounded and rooted in Christ, or in his Father, that criticism, that mocking, even walking towards death, couldn't crush him. No opposition would deter him from what he had to face. Isn't that attractive? That Jesus had such... Amazing tenderness to be able to sustain the weary with a word yet such strength of character such conviction such will that he was able to face whatever it was that was ahead of him that's an amazing blend of strength and tenderness wouldn't you like to know someone wouldn't you like to trust someone who has that kind of tenderness has that kind of strength the power of To choose the first way to live. The power to be able to sustain the weary with a word. The power to be able to face difficult moments that you're going to face with strength and conviction is found in being a disciple. It's found in being a follower of Christ. The power to choose the first way to live is found in living like Jesus did. He didn't live by the light of his own torch. He trusted the authority of Scripture. He spent time reading it. Morning by morning, he was sustained by the Word. So how is it possible to resist your selfish ways? How is it possible to resist the demands that the world puts on you? How is it possible to resist the arrows that Satan fires at you? Well, remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.23. You have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And as a believer in Christ, you're sustained by the very power of God, by the word of God. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, and he, meaning Jesus, and Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus died so that we don't have to choose that second way, that second path. The very power of God is the good news of the gospel. And if you're not a believer in Christ today, that good news means that because Jesus was mocked, because he was beaten, and because he was hated, that you can be loved. Because Jesus was broken, and because he died, that you can be made whole, and you can be made complete. And because Jesus put his trust, and was faithful to his Father, that you can be made new again as you put your trust and your faith in God. And if you're a believer, the good news of the Gospel means that you don't have to live life in your own strength anymore. The good news of the Gospel means that that Jesus showed us how to do it, that we can do it too. You don't have to make the same mistakes over and over again. We can by the very power of God, overcome that sin that's in our lives. So wherever you are today in your view of or in your relationship with God, are you trusting in the very power of God? Won't you put your trust in God and fully rely on Him? Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it instructs us that it tells us what to do. It tells us how to live a life that you have showed us will lead to blessings, that you've shown us will, uh, is far better than any life that we, we could have on our own. So thank you for instructing us with your word. But thank you also that your word sustains us. Your word allows us to, to reach out to those who are weary. Your word allows us to, to be sustained even as we are weary ourselves. Your, your word allows us to face the difficult things that, that we have to face in this world. God, we ask that you would strengthen us and empower us. Help us not to live for you uh, only a few hours a week, but just as you gave everything, Jesus, just as you gave your life for us, I pray that we would give our lives, our entire lives to you. Help us to put our full trust in you and rely on God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.